Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. My name is Mary Vandenack, founder and CEO at Vandenack Weaver Trulson. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about tax issues, trusts and estates, business succession and exit planning, legal technology, law practice management, law firm leadership, and well-being. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. There's always a resistance to change, particularly with attorneys. Attorneys like to look back at what's worked in the past, and that makes a lot of sense. But when you realize that with a good automated drafting system, you can do a better job for your clients, deliver documents on a more timely fashion, in a more consistent and in a more costly manner. If you're not a subscriber to Interactive Legal, I urge you to go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. And you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of Interactive Legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you. So please go to interactivelegal.com and click on request a demo. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, We provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, I am joined by Sherry Durier. Sherry owns Durier Strategic Marketing and has been instrumental in supporting Vandenack Weaver Trollson in putting together legal visionaries. I asked Sherry to reverse roles with me today and have her to have her interview me about the taxation of aircraft. I asked her to do this because this has been a pretty popular topic recently, and so I thought it might be helpful to talk about that tax issue. Thanks for joining me today, Sherry, and taking on the role of interviewer. Thanks for asking me. This is a big topic, so um, we'll just get started here. Can you start off, start off by mentioning why we decided to do an episode related to taxation of aircraft? Well, the last several years, there have been a lot of clients selling business and having significant gains related to their business sell, and they're looking for different ways to find deductions. And one of the deductions that has been significant in recent years has been buying or entering into a transaction related to an aircraft. So suddenly, we've had a lot of those transactions. My first exposure was many years ago when I had a client come in and he was being audited for the deductions he'd taken regarding to his aircraft. 
he had decided to do his own returns on TurboTax. And I love to use that example as if you own an airplane, maybe don't do your own returns on TurboTax. Hire a great accountant who <laughs> understands how air tra- aircraft taxation works. But the other thing that happened at the same time, we're seeing all these business sales and we had some changes in the tax rules. But when the pandemic started, we saw a significant uptick in people wanting to purchase aircraft instead of flying on commercial air- aircraft. So we often work with an aviation lawyer in structuring these transactions, but we've just seen a lot more. So the obvious reason for this uptick was that no one wanted to fly on commercial airplanes during the pandemic, as you mentioned. But are there also tax reasons that your clients have chosen to purchase aircraft? So under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, referred to generally as the TCJ, C, yeah, TCJA, <laughs> bonus depreciation, where you get to deduct the entirety, 100% expensing, became available to taxpayers regarding aircraft. So suddenly for this period of time, September 17 through January 1, 2023, Clients were purchasing aircraft, and they're able to deduct the expenses in the entirety. So does the aircraft have to be used for business purposes only in order to get that depreciation? It's a 50% rule. So for an aircraft to be eligible for the bonus depreciation, it must be used 50% for business purposes. Passing this test is really important, and the rules get pretty complex. So I'll give a couple examples about them, but it's really important. There's some really good resources out there to help you understand that. But if you're going into one of these transactions, super important to understand this. So the appropriate depreciation life in general for an aircraft is based on that primary use. A company that uses its aircraft primarily for its own business purposes would depreciate using what's referred to as makers, and it's a five-year life. Or there's an alternative depreciation system which provides a six-year life. If an aircraft is primarily leased for charter service, then a longer period of depreciation applies. An aircraft that doesn't meet the 50% test must use the alternate depreciation system in the year that it fails to meet the test and thereafter. So the one thing, though, that is important to realize is that even in the event of failure to meet the 50% test, You don't lose the deduction in the whole. You just lose the ability to deduct more quickly. Okay. So let's talk about business use generally. So business use must generally be non-entertainment business use. So we have these rules. This is what's deductible under Section 162, and this is an entertainment use that has limitations under another Section 274 and various other sections. But you know, traveling, take, you know, taking a bunch of people to Las Vegas to go play the slots, probably an entertainment flight, right? But traveling to see an advisor for a business purpose is generally a non-entertainment business use. To the extent you're using business use, you really want to look at that. But there are things like if you are required to travel to out-of-way locations, somewhere that's far away, out of the way, that's going to be a business use. If it's difficult to get commercial flights to where you're going or at the times that you need to travel, that's also going to support that the use is business use. Personal security can also be a significant concern and satisfying that need for a security through an aircraft, personal aircraft, is a business use. So how does the 50% test work? It's a two-step test. 
So first, the aircraft must be predominantly used in what is referred to as a qualified business use. The aircraft will be considered to satisfy that business use as long as the percentage exceeds 50%. And so in general, that means, is this used in a trader business? So again, if all you're doing is flying to Las Vegas to play the slots or to go to sporting events, or I went to a football game there, it was kind of fun, that's probably not going to satisfy that. We talked a little bit about that. The definition of qualified business use is subject to exceptions. So there's what are called compensation exceptions and related party leasing exceptions. If the exceptions count for 25% of the use, then the 50% test can be met without reducing the use by the exceptions. Can you explain to the listeners how the business use works under the various ownership structures of the aircraft? And there's a, the ownership structure is a significant issue to address when purchasing an aircraft. And we will typically consult with an aviation law expert on those structures. But from a tax perspective, one of the possibilities is a sole proprietorship. So in that case, the aircraft is owned by an individual. So Sherry, let's say you could decide, wow, I listened to Mary and all these tax benefits. And so I'm going to run out and I'm going to buy myself an aircraft today and take this great deduction. You bet. So... Yeah, well, maybe we should do a we'll do that. joint partnership joint. There one. you go. So in the sole proprietorship, the exceptions aren't going to apply. So the test is simply going to be flight hours or business use relative to total use. So if the aircraft is used 60 hours out of 100 for business, the test is going to be met. Another structure might be an employer-provided aircraft. Under that structure, the company owns the aircraft and uses it to transport executives. So an executive's personal flights are going to be reported as compensation on the W-2s. So let's just use an example. Assume that under an employer-provided aircraft structure, we have a company that owns an aircraft and uses it to transport only the executive. The executive is a 5% owner. Say during the year, the flight hours total 100. 30 of the flight hours are for company business. 70 of the flight hours are the executive's personal use. To the extent that the aircraft was used for the executive's personal purposes, the compensation is reported on that executive's W-2. In that case, the 70 flight hours for the executive's personal purposes will be excluded using the compensation exception. So the result will be that the qualified use percentage for the 25% test would be 30 Because this would pass the 25% test, the 50% test would be applied without the exceptions. Without the compensation exceptions, the 70 flight hours for personal purposes would be included in the qualified business use for the 50% test. They would be included in qualified business use because compensating employees is a business purpose for the company. So for the purposes of the 50% test, all 100 flight hours in this case, will be qualified business use, which will result in a qualified business use percentage of 100%. So this aircraft will qualify for that bonus depreciation. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors. At Foster Group, we know there are more important things than money. There's the joy of providing a lovely home for your family, the excitement of an early retirement, The relief, knowing that an unexpected emergency won't ruin your finances. 
At Foster Group, we're invested in the things that make life, life, and how to get there. Foster Group, your financial life, truly cared for. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com. Okay, let's continue our episode. Another structure is a related party leasing structure. Under this structure, one company owns the aircraft and leases it to a related company. And this is a fairly common structure. The lessee uses the aircraft in business and to provide personal flights to executives. So let's do another example because these are really fun, right? We want to sit down and do this math. So assume that we have a related party release leasing structure. Company owns an aircraft and leases it exclusively to a commonly owned company. The lessee company uses the aircraft to transport the majority stockholder for 60 flight hours on company business flights and 30 hours on personal flights. In addition, lessee uses the aircraft for another 10 flight hours to transport for company business purposes another employee who is not a 5% owner. The 90 flight hours to transport the 5% owner would be excluded from determining qualified business use under the related party leasing exception. This is, however, being revisited under some proposed regulations. It's the one thing that keeps me in business is just when we know the rules, they change the rules. Right. So that is, you know, this rule could change. Because the other 10 flight hours are to transport a non-5% owner, those 10 hours would not be excluded under the related party leasing exception, and they would count as qualified business use in the lessor's aircraft leasing business activity. As a result, the qualified business use percentage would be 10%. Since this would fail the 25% test, the 50% test would not be applied without the exception. So when we apply the 50% test without the exceptions, the qualified business use percentage would still be 10%, which is less than 50. So in this example, that's a big F for taking bonus depreciation. So that's why it's important to do some planning as you go into these structures. I can see that. What are the considerations about the flight if there are multiple passengers? This is another one that's just a lot of fun. So when you have multiple passengers... But the IRS rule is you have to do a reasonable allocation among the passengers to figure out whether there's business use or not. So there's one method that's referred to as the occupied seat method, which is used for the entertainment expense disallowance rules. Another possible method is the flight-by-flight method. So under the occupied seat method, you look at each mile traveled by each passenger, and those are each occupied seat miles. Under the flight-by-flight method, you look at the total number of miles traveled and it's divided among the passengers. So, for example, occupied seat. We have two passengers. They fly for 100 miles. So there's a total of 200 occupied seat miles. Flight-by-flight, two passengers travel for 100 miles. Each is considered to travel for 50 miles. So these calculations can get pretty complicated you do have to use the same approach. So it'd be nice if you could do, you know, combine those approaches so that it worked out, the math worked out in your favor, but you do have to use one approach for the entire year. And how does a company value a non-business flight? 
There's two methods that the IRS allows. The first is fair market value of the flight. So what is it going to cost if you take a comparable flight? The second approach is the standard industry fair fair level. So there's a formula that says this is the standard industry fair for this flight. That's the most common method. Are there other taxes that apply to aircraft in addition to federal income tax? And as you probably know me well enough that I would say, yes, of course, Absolutely. there are taxes. And not just to aircraft, but let's talk about everything that we do in life. <laughs> there's going to be additional taxes. And I always go about, oh, there's not just income taxes when we think about taxes. You have to think about all the different taxes. So you have state taxes might include sales and use taxes. There's fuel taxes, property taxes. Some different states have different state-specific tax issues and there's federal excise taxes that may apply on fuel and transportation of property or persons. So each of these taxes have their own sets of unique rules that apply how they're determined and when they apply. So before you and I go out and buy this plane, what should be considered ahead of time? Well, first of all, it would be a lot of fun to it have would. the aircraft, <laughs> but there's a, those whole aviation law rules I mentioned, those are actually more important, but <laughs> I will stay focused on the tax considerations. So you really have to think about, if we're going to do this, we're comfortable with how the aviation law is going to apply, and I'm looking at tax considerations. It's which owner structure, which ownership structure is going to result in the best tax consequences. So often the aircraft's going to be owned and operated by the person who purchases the aircraft. In that case, typically all expenses are going to be deductible. Often the aircraft will be owned by what we call a special purpose entity that's going to be wholly owned by the taxpayer's business. That also typically works well. We sometimes see aircraft owned by family offices. We did a whole podcast on the family office concept. In the case of ownership by a family office, it's really important that that family office is respected as a trade or business. So can gain on an aircraft be deferred by an exchange? So that's the old days. We had these rules that allowed exchanges of property other than real property. But the TCGA said like-kind exchange can only apply to real property. So that's part of the reason that bonus depreciation has become so important in this area. So any last thoughts on this? I'm sure there are a lot, but any that you want to cover right now? So there are are some great tax deductions, and we see a lot of clients decide to purchase an aircraft because of the tax deductions. If you're trying to do this for tax objectives, really look at the structure. Make sure you're working with those that understand aviation law and the tax laws that apply. But you also have to think through the, those aviation laws and insurance. So there's some really specific insurance considerations that must be navigated as well as the aviation and tax rules. Well, as we reach the end of our episode, Sherry, thanks for being the interviewer today on such a fun topic. But I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for weekly releases. 
Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.